Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bccweb.com. Good morning, church. Well, yes, we have had an amazing time away. I was just saying to the guys, you know, I'd rather go to a conference after a week's holiday. You know, when you just go on the back of busy working life, it's, it's quite difficult. Um, but however, it was a great time. God really spoke to me. I'm really sorry I missed yesterday morning, but um, I had an important family thing to do this afternoon, yesterday afternoon, and then I had a message to write. So I want to just crack on with the word this morning. Um, And I want to talk about, obviously, we're in the series of strength and courage. Um, And Mark has been talking about it. He talked about strength as the ability to persist um, and courage as the ability to start again. And I just want to expand that a little bit about strength being the quality or the state of being strong and courage being the quality or mind or spirit that enables a person to face difficult situations or danger or fear, or pain, sorry, or pain without fear. And we've talked about fear this morning, but you know, courage is the ability to face something again and again, and to come back again and again without fear. And I think that's a really important thing. I really think that we're on the same page as God. I really think God is wanting to do something here in BCC and he's preparing us. And so this morning I want to talk about strength and courage in the body of Christ. Because I think it's really important that as a body, thank you guys, as a body we are united, that we have strength, that we have courage, that we're together. Because the Bible talks very clearly about us being a body and a body working together in everything it does. Um, One of the organisational values that we have where I work, you know, I work in a hospice. One of our organisational values is to be bold and pioneering. Now, you wouldn't think that kind of value, we'd have that kind of value in a hospice, but we are. We're bold and pioneering, and the service that I run is pioneering. It's new. It's never been done before um, from a hospice context. And, uh, you know, we need to be bold and pioneering in the church. The thinking and the actions that we've done to get us to this point won't get us to the next point. We've got to do something different. You've got to, we've got to step out. We've got to be more bold. We've got to be more pioneering. Yeah. We've got to think outside the box yeah. because the, the thinking that we've had so far has only got us to here. Now, if we want to get to here, we've got to think differently. Yeah. We've got to behave differently um, in order to move on to what God is doing. And I share Mark's heart that we need to strengthen the church um, because I believe like never before, the world needs the church. It needs salt and light. We've got to start um, really being the church. I'm going to tell you a story. In 1981, uh, when I went to live in Zimbabwe, it was the year after independence, for those of you who know about that part of the country, and there was still guerrilla warfare going on, and there were still people being killed, there were still white people being killed, there were still missionaries being killed, and in fact the place I ended up working after three years was a place where all the missionaries were massacred, and I was the first qualified nurse to go back into that place and to try and restructure and repurpose the hospital again, a 72-bed hospital out on the border with um, Zimbabwe and Mozambique. And um, I was 24 years old and um, 
And because of the situation out there, many people begged me not to go, least of all my family, of course. Um, they called me selfish. They said I didn't care what happened to me and therefore the impact it had on them. And there was all sorts of, um, there was all sorts of um, people telling me not to go, including people in the church. Um, and uh, yet I knew I had the call of God on my life. There was nothing that was going to stop me going. And just before I left, I was in a prayer meeting, an early morning prayer meeting across the other side in your office, which used to be George Forrester's office. And George prayed over me. And I remember that morning, George prayed over me. I'd only been a believer for three years. And uh, George put his hand on my head and he prayed. Now, I thought at the time he prophesied because I didn't know it was scripture, but it was actually scripture that he spoke over me. And he put his hand on me and he said this. And he said this. <laughs> he said this. <laughs> He said, have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And I know that George believed in me at that time, and so did his wife and a few others. And um, <clears throat> I left and I went. And when I went through difficult times, could you, do you mind, sorry, just stay on that one and we'll just move on from there. Um, uh, and when I went through difficult times, I remembered that scripture. I wrote it down, I remembered it, and I always remember, God, you brought me here, and you said you're never going to leave me nor forsake me, therefore there must be a way through. Um, <clears throat> and uh, about three years later, I moved up into this, to this northeast corner. In fact, I worked for Elim um, at that time on an Elim mission. Interestingly, when we were up at the conference yesterday, uh, the guy who led me to the Lord was an El is now an Elim pastor, he came down from Scotland for one weekend in September uh, 1977. He led me to Christ. He went back, and I've never, ever seen him to this day. He just came for one weekend to Bromley, led me to Christ, and went away, and never seen him again. But I know he's an Elim pastor, so I had a guy, chat with the guy um, to see if I could track him down, because I want to tell him what a great life I've had from that one encounter that I had with him um, that weekend. Um, and so uh, I was working in the hospital then, in Elim Hospital up in Kateriri in the northeast corner of Zimbabwe. And, um, and uh, there was a doctor there, Oxfam had sent a doctor to work with us. Adrian, his name was, great guy, and his wife. And we used to, because of the drought, there were three years of drought while I was there. There was no food, all the crops had failed, and we became a government feeding station. And so from time to time, we would take food out to the satellite villages and the clinics to, to help people. And one day, we were out together, and we were in an open-back truck, and we had food in the back, and we were just travelling around on the border up there by the um, Garezi River. And... Um, uh, whenever, because of the war in that, in that country, all the bridges had been blown up and therefore they would often just concrete across the river. Um, but of course in the rainy season it all flooded. So whenever you came to a river that was flooded, you couldn't just drive across. You, as many of you know, you have to get out and walk across in order to test how deep the water is and how fast flowing it is before you take your vehicle across. So here's one such river that we came to. And as you can see, the bridge is flooded and the water is going across it. And it's only just a bit wider than the, than the vehicle. And so it, we came to this river and it was my turn to get out and to walk across the river and see how deep it was. 
And so um, I, I got out of the vehicle and I started walking across this river. And of course, I had to keep looking down because it was up to just under below my knee and it was flowing and I didn't want to get washed off. So I was looking down all the way, watching my steps to be sure that I didn't slip or trip. I had bare feet. And uh, I got about halfway across and I looked up and there in front of me on the other side of the river were three men standing on the shoreline. And they had shorts on, they had string vests, they had dark glasses and machine guns. And I knew they weren't regular soldiers. And I sort of looked up and I thought, God, you know, my heart missed a beat. And I realised that my only help was behind me on the other side of the river. And so in my moment, I, I remembered, you know, the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And as I stood there, I thought, well, I've only got two choices. If I turn round and look to go back, well, they might shoot me and they would easily get me and then I'd just get washed off. If I carried on, my only help is behind me. What am I going to do when I get there? And I have to say, in all the years I lived in that situation, I was never, ever afraid of dying. I was never afraid. I think when you're younger, you don't have that sense of dying. However, I was afraid of being raped, and I think that was quite a natural kind of fear to have in that kind of situation. So I turned round, and fortunately, Adrian was taking off his socks and shoes. As you know, men wear socks and shoes with shorts. <laughs> <laughs> He was taking off his socks and shoes, for which I was incredibly grateful, and he was walking in the water towards me. And so I figured that if I just slowed my pace and waited for him to catch up, by the time we got to the other side of the water, he would, have, he would be with me side by side. I have to say, in every situation I've ever encountered of danger, God has always provided somebody to help me. And this man, he was a Quaker. He wasn't a believer, he was a Quaker. And um, anyway, so I did slow down and he caught up with me and we got out of the water together on the other side. And uh, bearing in mind, of course, neither of us had anything on our feet, so we weren't very sure-footed. Um, and um, he greeted these guys like long-lost friends. Hi, guys. Oh, it's good to see you. Now, one guy had a machine gun over his shoulder and the bullets trailed all the way down <laughs> into the water. And I'm fixated on that standing behind Adrian, sort of to the side like this. <laughs> and uh, these three guys are talking to him and, and, um, and, oh, we're really pleased to see you. We're trying to get our vehicle across the river. Could you help us? And so the guide said yes. And so they, we all walked back across the river. They sat on the tailgate of the vehicle. And then Adrian said to me, why don't you walk behind? This would be a good photo opportunity. And I said, actually, I rather value my life, and uh, I think I'd rather walk in front if that's okay. Um, so we did walk in, we got across the river, I got back in the cab and we left and we went on our way. Was I frightened? Was I scared? Yes, of course I was. If you see three men with machine guns, I think it's natural to be frightened. Um, but actually, uh, um, did I sense the presence of God? Absolutely absolutely sensed the presence of God. Even though my heart was beating inside of me, I knew God was with me. I knew God was watching over me. And I knew God had given me someone to help me. And I knew that he could probably handle it better than I could, man to man. And therefore, as a woman, I had learned when to keep quiet. Uh, 
You know, there are some times as a woman when you need to just shut up and you need to let that person who God has brought there to help you. I see you laughing, Fred. (laughs) (laughs) But for all of us, when God has sent someone in to help you, that we need to just stand back and watch and let God use that person in whatever way um, he will use you. Um, so God, God will send people to help us and support us. Um, and I say I faced, I, faced, I faced another situation in a similar time with a, a, a soldier who, was dr- who had a machine gun, but he was drunk, which was even worse. But again, God sent somebody along to veer him off in another direction away from me, which was good. Why God never intended us to manage alone. God never intended us to manage alone. And sometimes we have an independent spirit that says, I can do this fine on my own. I know people who've got such a strong independent spirit. They're so strong in trying to manage themselves, protect themselves, sort themselves out, help themselves, work out their life themselves. And God never. And because we've been hurt, because we've been wounded, because other people have let us down, because other people have disappointed us, but courage is to persist again. Courage is to go back again, even in the face of defeat, even in the face of, I have to say, I did feel sorry for those three politicians who had to resign, even though I voted Conservative and I'm not ashamed to say it. But I was sorry, felt sorry for them that actually that they had to resign. But, you know, even in the face of defeat, even in the face of hurting and wounding, we have to be able to have the courage to get up again and to, to go again. Proverbs says, Proverbs 18... Okay, Proverbs 18.1 says, He that separateth himself seeketh his own desire and rages against sound wisdom. There is no wisdom in separating yourself. He that separateth himself seeketh his own desire and rages against all sound wisdom. God says he's put the solitary in families. God says that two is better than one. Now, okay, yes, there's a thing about marriage in that, but I don't think that scripture is about marriage because it says when one is down, the other can pull them up. You don't have to be married to do that. Two is better than one because when one is down, the other one can pull them up. That's about friendship. That's about caring about other people. That's about saying, let me come alongside you. I can see things are difficult for you. Because when we're down, sometimes we cannot pick ourselves up. And therefore, we need someone to help us up. Two is better than one. And I know many people who, through their independent spirit, through their stubbornness and through their willfulness, will not reach out a hand to enable someone else to help them up. You know, in BCC, we have an incredible skill set. We have an incredible skill set. We have many, many skilled people. Everybody has something to contribute in this house, you know. And if we would all share that with each other, if we would all look out for each other, I feel incredibly blessed, you know, because I have a whole variety of people in my world who've got skills that I don't have. You know, the best manager, my manager, surrounds herself with people who've got skills she doesn't have because then they can do the things that she can't do. You know, we we are a body and therefore, you know, we should be able to pool our resources, as it were, in that sense of helping and supporting and caring for each other and doing things. There's a lot of single people in the church, single mothers, even single fathers and single people, you know, who need that when then someone is down. They need that someone to pull them up. And I think that we, we operate in silos. 
in our little family groups or in our little life groups without thinking a bit more about the bigger picture sometimes. Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially who? Those who belong to the family of believers. Now, we talk a lot here about serving the community, and that's absolutely right. I haven't got a problem with that one bit, but the Bible says, especially those in here. The Bible says we should be looking out for each other. The Bible says that we, especially those who belong to the family of believers, we have a responsibility to each other first, and to to care for each other, to look after each other, to strengthen each other, because we are a body, and God has put us together as a body. We have an obligation to each other. It isn't by chance that we're here. It isn't by chance that you're here. And I believe God is going to bring more people into this house to help us with the skills that we don't already have, to enable us to be what he needs us to be, a balanced body. It's no good in a body if you've got six arms and no legs. It's no good in a body if you've got three heads and no hands. You know, we need the full body in this place. God expressing himself in his fullness in the body of Christ. That's what he does. He doesn't express his fullness in one person. I don't contain all of God. God expresses all of himself in the body of Christ. And therefore we need everybody in the body doing its part in order to express the fullness of God in everything that we do. I want to just think about disease for the moment. Um, I don't know how much, or because I think about it a lot, of course, because of my kind of job, but I want to think about disease for a moment. Because when there's sickness in the body, can we go to the next one, please? When there is sickness in the body, there is dis-ease. Disease is dis-ease. So whether it's mental, physical, emotional or spiritual, if there's some kind of sickness in your body, there is dis-ease. And it's the same in the body of Christ. When the body of Christ is not healthy, it's because there is dis-ease. We are not at ease with each other, with ourselves, as the body. Something is not functioning. It is dysfunctional. When your body is sick, it is dysfunctional. It is not functioning properly because it is not at ease with itself. It is not healthy, and that's what unhealthiness is. It's dis-ease. So how do we function then? Um, How do we bring that back together? Next one, please. Is that a miracle is applying kingdom control over our circumstances. So to join it back together, if you like, healing Healing in a diseased body is applying kingdom government over that person's body, isn't it? Because there we bring what is in heaven to earth, which is healing. We allow what is in heaven onto earth. We bring the ease back together. We put the thing back together. A miracle is applying kingdom control over our circumstances, bringing things back together. We need to apply this to the body of Christ. There is dis-ease in the church when its members are not functioning together in unity, when one or more is not playing its part. Let's have a look at 1 Corinthians 12 and verses 14 and onwards. And it says this. uh, Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. 
If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, um, every one of them, just as he wants them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? And as it were, there are many members but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, these parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God, but God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but its parts should be equal, have equal concern for it. If one part suffers, the other part suffer, and if one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now we, you, sorry, now you are the body of Christ, and every one of you is a part of it. Every one of you is a part of it. We cannot say we don't need each other and we cannot opt out and say that I'm not going to be a part of it. You are a part of it and you are an indispensable part of it. And just like when the body is, our physical body is broken and not functioning and there is dis-ease, when you are not functioning in your part in the body of Christ, there is dis-ease in the body of Christ. The body of Christ can't function because you are an indispensable part. We've got to play our part in what God wants us to do. It's not about 12 people who went away to a conference to come back and lead the church. It's about, yes, of course it is about having structure and values and leadership in the church, but you are an indispensable part of the church yeah, yeah, yeah. and you have to rise up and take your part, otherwise the body will be dysfunctional. We cannot do it without everybody choosing to take their part. In order for the church to be healthy, three things are recognised. Three things have to be recognised. We all need to see ourselves as a functioning part of the body. We all need to realise that we need each other. We might not like each other, but we need each other. We need each other. Now, there are some parts of your body that you might not, not like. There are some parts of your body which you might want to hide away because you don't like, but it's still a part of your body. And you can't hide it from God, but God takes us as we are. And God uses us as we are, and that's exactly what he will do with the body of Christ. He just wants us to stand up and be counted and say, yes, I am a part of the body of Christ. God, what part do you want me to play? Nobody can say, we don't need you, because we do need you. And the third thing is, we need to understand how God intends the body to be. If we want to be, we need to be strong and courageous together as a body, enable for it to function. When I was standing in the river looking at these three men in front of me, it would be no good if my legs were telling me, don't move, don't move, don't move, and my head is telling me, you can't stay here, what are you going to do? My body had to function as one. My head had to make a decision, and my body had to follow it through, even though my legs were quaking. Um, there's a number of illustrations from Scripture which highlight to us how important it is to be functioning together. The walls of Jericho. The walls of Jericho only fell down because what? 
everybody, everybody, but everybody decided, come on, we're going to do this. This is what Joshua says. Let's get together. We're going to march. What, another day? Yeah, we're going to march. And another day? Yeah, we're going to, yeah. We're going to. You know, so often in the church, you can have people who will just say, well, I'll just sit back here for a little while and see what happens. <laughs> I'm not quite sure about this. I'll just wait and see what happens. No, you're part of the body. The walls of Jericho fell because everybody united together in an almighty shout. Everybody together shouting brought those walls down. It was a valuable lesson. Uh, Nehemiah, when they were rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, everybody helped, didn't they? And everybody built outside the wall, outside their own property, until, uh, until an outside force threatened them. And then what did Nehemiah do? He said, right, I'm going to have a man with me with a trumpet. And when there's a problem on any part of the wall, we're going to blow that trumpet and I want you to all come and help. And then when you all come and help, we'll all fight together and everybody will have a sword in one hand ready to fight. So what did they do? They were looking out for each other because they saw the bigger picture. The walls of Jerusalem would not have made a secure fortress if it had holes in it all the way round. If everybody just said, no, no, forget that, it's hard luck if they can't support their wall. I'm just going to build my bit of wall and outside my house it'll be fine, thank you very much. We'll be fine. No, it won't be fine because they'll be coming up behind you because they got in through their hole in the wall. <laughs> you know, you've got to see the bigger picture of what God is doing in the body of Christ and our part in it. And we've got to be united in that. And that takes faith and that takes courage. Uh, it took them 52 days to build that wall and they had to join together and to work at it with all their might until every single person's house and wall outside their house was restored and the fortress then protected them all. Matthew 10 and verse 7 says this, Jesus prepared these men and he said, as you go out, he said to the disciples, um, preach this message, the kingdom of heaven is near, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy and drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. And then in verse 16 he says, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. Now Jesus had his 12 disciples there. He really bigging them up. I'm sending you out. I want you to heal the sick. I want you to raise the dead. I want you to cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. No pressure. This is, but I'm, I'm giving you authority. Go out and do this. And then he says to them before they leave, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. You know, whatever we do, it's not going to necessarily come easy. We need to have courage and we need to have courage as a body. I want to tell you something about wolves. I don't know whether you've ever studied wolves, but I want you to consider wolves for a moment because this is an incredible illustration of how the enemy will seek to cause division and will seek to bring us down in everything that we do. Think about a wolf. There are some very interesting facts about wolves and Jesus used this as a powerful illustration to teach us a very valuable lesson about wolves. Wolves usually hunt at dusk when it's difficult to see and they only kill to eat to survive. So they wouldn't necessarily kill a human, they kill to eat to survive and they only hunt at dusk and you know what it's like at dusk. I hate driving at dusk because it's half and half isn't it? You can't see and there are shadows and everything's not quite as clear as it could be. They'll hunt at dusk, they usually hunt um, Sorry, they don't always succeed in catching their prey. And so to conserve their energy, they have to have a strategy. 
And this is the strategy of a wolf. A wolf will follow its prey. It will stay out of sight until it sees a moment of weakness and a time of opportunity to pounce. They will stalk and watch the herds for a long time, testing the animals and watching for weakness. And they detect their prey in three primary ways, the scent, the tracking and the chance encounter. The wolf is the predator of the very young, the very old, the weak and the diseased. And they're always looking to take advantage. And they wait and look for times of fatigue. And however, despite hunting in packs with their prowess for hunting, the majority of their prey gets away. How does this, what does this illustration say for us? Interestingly, with a wolf, the prey that usually runs is the one that's chased. The one that stands its ground is usually the one that gets away by bluffing. That's really interesting, isn't it? The one that runs will be chased, but the one who stands its ground and calls its bluff will usually be the one to survive. Jesus said, having done all to what? Stand. Not to run, but to stand. What is this saying to us? I think that um, this is a very interesting parallel for us. This illustrates to us a strategy of the devil. Many people think, contrary to belief, that the devil can read your thoughts. He can't. He cannot. He's not all-knowing. What, so how does he operate one of his strategies? Well, he tracks you, and he watches you, and he waits for an opportunity, and he waits for a weakness, and he waits to see when you're unwell. He waits to see when there's a hole in the wall. He waits to see when he's got an opportunity to pounce, and then he pounces, and then he seeks to bring you down, because you are filled with fear, and you will run You know, the Bible says that we need to, uh, it is by faith that we live. And we therefore need to know where our weaknesses are. We need to know where the weaknesses in the body of Christ are. We need to know the old and the weak and the vulnerable and the diseased because they're the ones who are going to be picked off. And we could fit into any of that criteria. Um, We need to protect each other. We need to look out for each other. We need to pray for each other. We need to come together. We need to value each other. We need to recognise that when one is down... Somebody needs to help them back up again in order that they don't get picked off. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12 says, On the contrary, these parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. So when someone's down, we need to rush there to help them get up again. The weak parts of the body, the Bible says, are the indispensable parts. And therefore we need to be helping them. We're not a healthy church if we don't protect our indispensable parts. Fear comes, let me tell you something about fear in the last few minutes because we've talked about fear this morning. Fear comes when you believe the opposite to what God says. Fear comes when you believe the opposite to what God says. When we believe the contradiction to what God says. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. So when you feel fear, it's not from God. Now there is a natural fear. I believe when I saw three men with machine guns, I had a natural fear. Our bodies for protection are built. If I was in the middle of a field and a bull came running at me, I would have a natural fear to run. That's a natural fear. I'm not talking about that. But God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. He's given us a spirit of what? Power. Power and a sound mind to know wisdom and to know how to stand and to know how to stand against the, um, the threats of the enemy. We only become fearful because we tolerate fear in our lives. If we knew the truth, 
we could counter the truth of the lie that's coming against us and it would take away our fear. We don't ask God to take away your fear, just start believing the truth. Because when you believe truth, there is no fear in truth. Fear is in the opposite of what God says. And all the while we believe that, then uh, we will live in fear. Being out of fear is a choice. Salvation is not just about forgiveness, it's about a new order of living. Salvation is a new order of living. And the one thing that God has never taken away from us is our ability and our freedom to choose. God has never touched that. We all have the ability to choose. And God has never taken it away and he never will. We can choose what we believe. We can choose what we say. We can choose what we do. We have free will to choose. And we can choose truth or we can choose lies. We can choose lies and live in fear. Or we can choose truth and we can live in power. And God has made that quite apparent to us. He says many times in the Bible, do not fear. And the way we do not fear is to live by faith. So in all those years when I was overseas, when things came against me, I would say, no, God hasn't given me a spirit of fear. And God says, be strong and be courageous. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. And that would be my overriding garment, as it were, to enable me not to feel fear. Scripture exalts us to set your affections where? On things above. On things above. The more we fill our hearts and minds with Christ, the less opportunity there is to fill it with fear because we're filling it with truth and we have an opportunity. You know, fear will contaminate your faith. Fear will contaminate your faith. God has called us to be people of faith and to keep our faith good, to keep our faith pure, to keep our faith working, to keep our faith and courage as part of the body of Christ. We have to keep choosing truth. We have to keep choosing truth. We have to keep choosing truth, the truth of God's word. It's got nothing to do with what's happening in our lives. It's got nothing to do with what other people say. It's got nothing to do with our past experience. Courage is to go again, go again, go again, taking the truth of God's word. We have got to function together as a body. If we're going to move forward as the body of Christ in this place, we have got to be united. In strength and courage. We've got to look out for each other. We've got to look out for those of us who are weaker. We've got to pull them up because they are indispensable, all those people. Every single one of us has got to put up our hand and say, I'm here to do my part. I'm here to do my part. I'm not just here on Sundays because I love the songs. I'm not just here on Sundays because my mates come. I'm here to play my part in the body of Christ. I'm here to bring kingdom principles here on earth into this diseased world because that's what the church is for. Amen.